Another year, another Super Bowl, and yes, again, another He Gets Us ad about Jesus from a group of people that I'm pretty sure have never read the Bible before. A lot of Christians have been triggered by this ad, and we'll talk about it. The ad insinuates that Jesus never hated anything, but can a good God that perfectly loves also get away with not perfectly hating that which is evil? We'll talk about that and more today on Indie Thinker. Welcome to the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. If you have yet to see our brand new trailer for the film Fatherless that showcases the breakdown of the nuclear family, then you need to do so. And you can do so by signing up for our newsletter. Not only by signing up for the newsletter will you get a host of great extra content that is for our subscribers only, but you'll also get access to the trailer at least as it sits in its present state because we're right now in production of this film. And by accessing this trailer, you can also find ways to help support this film so that we can bring this much needed project to market. I believe it is the linchpin for changing the future of America. If we can fix the fatherless epidemic in America, we can fix America and we need your help to do that. So sign up for the newsletter today. You can do that by going to the link on the screen or going to the description of this podcast where you'll find a link tree link that gives you the ability to interact with a bunch of different content from IndieThinker, but most of all, sign up for our newsletter. Regardless of your experience on Super Bowl Sunday and whether you like the game or not, it is undeniable that there's a unique group of people in America that had an interesting Super Bowl Sunday. And I'm specifically speaking about evangelical Christians. It started with a shooting at Lakewood Church in Houston. Now, this is the mega church of Joel Osteen. Maybe you've heard of him. First off, thank, thank Chief and the Mayor and Chief Penny and all of the, the, these men and women did an amazing job. And it's just, you, you said it, Chief, it could have been a lot worse. Of course, we're devastated. I mean, this, we've been here 65 years and have somebody shooting in your church. But, you know, we don't understand why these things happen, but we know God's in control. And we're going to pray for that little five-year-old boy and pray for the lady that was deceased, her family and all, and, and the other gentlemen. But... I don't know. It's just um, kind of in a fog, but, you know, just believe that, you know, we're, we're going to stay strong. We're going to continue to to move forward. And there are forces of evil, but the, the forces that are for us, the forces of God are stronger than that. So we're going to keep going strong and just... Uh, you know, doing what God's called us to do, lift people up and give hope to the world. Now, the reason I bring that up, not only because it happened on Super Bowl Sunday, but also because I'm slightly concerned as we move into an election year, how there is animosity being stirred up against Christians by a group of people who oddly call themselves Christians, typically of the progressive kind of stripe of Christianity, who constantly want to finger point at other evangelical Christians as the big problem facing America today. These are people like those at the Holy Post, those in the New Evangelical Movement, or many in the progressive Christian movement kind of writ large who have for years been slandering evangelical Christians and are doing so especially right now. Now, last week on the show, I talked about the after party, which is a coordinated attempt to indict evangelicalism uh, as a polarizing force in society that has given up on character and morality, rather, uh, and they've accepted their endorsement and their love and their idolatry for Donald Trump in its place. 
Now, as an evangelical Christian, I can tell you that I cannot see that that has happened in any fashion at all, but these people are very convinced of it, and they feel like they have a holy obligation to point at fellow evangelical Christians and say that they are the problem. And I am concerned that a lot of that finger-pointing can't help but radicalize a group of people who are already inclined to hate Christianity. And that brings us to the ideas that are presented in the He Gets Us ad campaign that we saw at the Super Bowl this year and we saw again last year. Not only do I have a problem with it because it paints a picture of Christianity that surely seems to be incredibly unbiblical, I have a problem with it because it seems to be an indictment against those who actually believe Christianity should be based upon scripture, and then rather they reinterpret it through the lens of a kind of more secular, and if I'm very cynical, a much more Marxist lens. Suffice to say, ultimately I want you to think for yourself about all of this, so I'll show you the ad now. Now I'm going to stop here and there and kind of interact with, with this advertisement, but also so that you can get an understanding of what you're seeing. And so, for instance, here I want to show you this portly Hispanic looking cop washing the feet of a young black man and I can only imagine that this is trying to insinuate somehow that there needs to be reconciliation between police officers and the African American community. Well that's of course true, undeniably, but, but here's where we have to be a little bit picky. The only way to truly get that reconciliation is for people specifically in the black community to give up on the lie that has been peddled for the past, what, going on four years now, uh, that there is systemic racism in the police force. So once we get over that lie, then we can actually find reconciliation. And you'll see this as a theme throughout this advertisement, throughout this He Gets Us ad and this video of, about it, that real relationship cannot be predicated upon lies and it must be predicated upon truth-telling between the parties involved and then you can have a real relationship. Otherwise, the version of love that you're communicating is not really love. More on that later. Don't ask me what you know is true. Okay, so it seems here we have a elderly white man washing the feet of an, an, an Indian man, a Native American man. Uh, so the insinuation here is that somehow, I guess, white people have this deep animosity toward Native Americans or something like that, that we need somehow to reconcile these groups of people, um, I, which, you know, color me a little skeptical here. I, I just don't see that on the regular. Uh, but maybe uh, the insinuation here is that there are white Americans who have past sins that were not committed by them, but yet nonetheless that they are culpable for and we have to apologize for those sins in the present. Now, now that's an awfully cynical take, I'll, I'll grant you, but maybe we're just talking about bringing people together and pushing that stupidity to the side. But that's the problem with an ad like this that raises a bunch of questions but never answers them and then ends the ad the way it does, which we'll get to in a minute. Don't have to tell you. All right, we have to stop here again and show you uh, a young girl at an abortion clinic 
having her feet washed by an elderly white woman. Now, oddly enough, there are no black people washing feet in any of this ad, I have to point out. But also, too, over in the corner, you can see that there's a bunch of protesters holding signs while this woman leaves those protesters, who are obviously just horrible people, right, because they want to save unborn babies, um, and actually doing the work of washing the feet of this young girl who we can only assume, again, because it doesn't communicate, and based upon, again, the end of this, uh, this commercial, that, that this young girl went into the abortion clinic, came out, this one white woman comes and washes her feet, and she breaks away from these god-awful evil protesters. Now, I have to tell you something, and I usually don't talk about this because I like my charity, charity to be done in secret. I don't put it on TikTok for the world to see so that I can go viral. Um, but I, I actually volunteer at a pregnancy resource center every single week. And there, I go in those pregnancy resource centers, sit down and speak with people who are mostly in crisis pregnancies that were unplanned, and they're not sure how they're going to afford it. They don't have the money to, to take care of this baby, and they don't know what they're going to do. And I not only give them counsel to help them understand that they were created in God's image and perfectly capable of raising a family just like every other generation before them, regardless of the financial difficulty they may be in, but also... I not only encourage them that way, but I also go one step further and then offer them potentially tens of thousands of dollars in services to try to help them take care of that baby uh, if those people take us up on it rather than just take the easy way out. And all, all I'm saying is just simply this, the lie that seems to be insinuated again here that Christians are only interested in telling you what not to do, but not actually interested in really taking care of people is a, is a total 100% lie that is convenient for you to believe if you are on the pro-choice, pro-abortion side of things. You have to believe that because you have to make somebody else the enemy other than yourself. And it's really convenient to point your finger at the people who are actually saving babies, pouring out hundreds of thousands of dollars on an annual basis to take care of people in these crisis pregnancies, which, by the way, by and large, are Christians in America on the front lines saving babies. So, again, this is an insinuation that only we can draw from what we see here, and this is why Christians have a problem with it. Let's keep going. All right, now this one's particularly striking. So, again... We have another white person washing the feet of what seems to be um, an, an, a Native American young girl, I can only imagine. Um, she's got a clean air now sign. Um, I, even if it's not a Native American young girl, uh, what we have is like the idea that white people have been drilling for oil on indigenous land and look at all of the horrible things we're doing to the environment and oh, we've got we've to stop that before it's too late. Uh, horrific white people yet again destroying Everything. Now, this is where the Marxist kind of thing comes in, because this surely seems to be an attempt to try to stir up racial animosity, to create division more than it does actually to create peace. So, so that a lot of people have come out after this and just be like, I just don't see it. You know, I, you know, this is a, an ad about Jesus. And if people can learn that Jesus was about love, even if it's not packaged the best way, then why? Why strain out gnats while swallowing, while swallowing camels? And, and, and I think that's a misrepresentation of what we're actually seeing here. And that's why I'm taking the time to kind of break this down scene by scene. Because every one of these scenes is an implicit insinuation, if not an explicit insinuation, that... 
Christianity actually isn't the answer, but evil white people stopping what they're doing is the answer. Now, there's some people out there that we have to acknowledge now that hear that and say amen, but let's also be really clear that this is not a Christian message. Okay, now this one I think is incredibly interesting because now we have what seems to be a, a priest, maybe Catholic priest, washing the feet of what clearly seems to be a gay man in skates because uh, using biblical language, never a straight man has dressed like this before. Now, this is the reason people are upset with this He Gets Us ad. At the end of the ad, it says that Jesus didn't teach hate. And the problem with that is that this isn't true. Jesus did teach a particular kind of hate. Now, it wasn't petty hate or hate for the sake of hate, but it was because we believe as Christians that Jesus is God, and as God, he is a perfect lover. And as a perfect lover, he must also perfectly hate that which is evil and hate that which hurts other people. And you see this all the time in the teaching of Jesus and in the Bible. In fact, in Luke 14, Jesus says that if you do not hate your mother or brother and love me more, that you can't really be my disciple. And then in 1 John 3, it says that we are not to love the things of the world. Well, then if we're not supposed to love them, what are we supposed to do to them? And then in Psalm 11:5, it says that God loves the righteous, but he hates those violent perpetrators of wickedness, those who cause violence on the earth. But the passage in question here where Jesus washes feet in John 13 is important to note because Jesus didn't go around washing the feet of Roman centurions. He didn't wash the feet of Herod. He didn't wash the feet of tax collectors and Sadducees and Pharisees. He didn't even wash the feet of prostitutes. Jesus only washed the feet of his disciples. Why? Well, we see in John 15, Peter comes to him uh, when Jesus is going to wash his feet, and he says, hey, you can't wash my feet. You're too holy, and they're too dirty. And Jesus says to him, and I'm paraphrasing here, but I think this is a faithful interpretation. He says, if you don't let me wash your feet, then I can't wash your heart. Because ultimately what I'm doing here is the act of symbolizing what I'm going to do for you on the cross, which will cleanse you from your unrighteousness. And you have to humble yourself to receive that act so that you can truly be forgiven of all your sins. So Jesus didn't go around washing everybody's feet because foot washing wasn't for everybody. It was for the repentant sinner not for the unrepentant person that you just want to show a random act of kindness to. And furthermore, Jesus says in John 13, I want you to do this to one another. In other words, do this to your fellow disciple because this is the way that you can show that you've truly been forgiven of your sin when you love the other fellow brother that is with you. We can say so much more about that, but ultimately, I want to just point out three things with this ad that really caused people um, a little bit of heartburn. And the first one is this, is that there's an insinuation all throughout this, this ad. And ultimately, the big one seems to be that uh, we want to point the finger, wag the finger at fellow Christians for not being loving enough. Now, you, the, the creators of this ad may say that that's not true, but, but I almost think that it is so obvious as to be ridiculous. But even if it isn't true, the insinuation is, beyond that, all we need is this thing we call love. But the problem with this ad is that love 
is never defined. I mean, we've already, we've already shown you that, that Jesus actually has a pretty complex uh, way of trying to illustrate love to his disciples. Um, and this is so important today because if we insinuate anything other than that, then we are leaning into so much of what the progressive left is doing today because we're told that if you really love somebody, that you would never say that abortion is murder. If you really love somebody, you will let your child mutilate their genitals. That's what true love is. And in fact, if you say, no, that's probably not the best, there may be some other options for you here other than chopping off the twig and berries. Um, well, then, of course, you're, you're committing genocide. You're, you're just setting this person up for suicide, and if you don't let them cut their junk off, then obviously you don't love people. This is the kind of emotional blackmail that's being played all the time and being played in this, in this ad. That's because our culture has an understanding of love, um, and they think unconditional love is unconditional support. But, of course, that's ridiculous. That's abusive. That's not real love. Within the context of marriage, if you were beating your spouse and you came and washed their feet, you would hardly be actually creating a functional relationship. No, you would have to deal with the issue. And then maybe you can get back to the washing of feet. But but even if you wanted to wash the feet, you would still have to deal with the issue. Um, a dysfunctional relationship, even if you pair the analogy back, doesn't communicate honestly about what's really happening. But that's the kind of love that our culture continues to perpetuate and continues to preach. And I think it's obvious in this ad. But real Christian love, the kind of love that Jesus had, is what Thomas Aquinas says is willing the good of the other. That's real love. So as you can see, it's much more complex than simply washing the feet of an unrepentant sinner. Because if you will the good of the other, you will tell them the truth. You will be honest with them. And in a culture like ours today that is so steeped in postmodernism, telling the truth to an individual may actually be a risk to you because you understand that there are consequences for telling the truth anymore in our society today. And that act of being willing to risk telling the truth, maybe even to a complete stranger, shows that actually you care about them. So it could be an unparalleled act of benevolence and love to do that. So the insinuation here that love is all we need and love definitely isn't confrontational is no kind of love. Remember, love is willing the good of the other. And so that takes on many different forms. Now, not only is there this kind of spiritually bankrupt insinuation in this ad, but there's also no differentiation. So we live in a morally pluralistic world that it's really important that we understand that, that we need to understand what is good and what is evil. I've already showed you that Jesus clearly hated in Scripture, but it's important to understand that we believe Jesus is God and that if God is perfectly good, he must hate that which is evil. So for God to ha does have the capacity to hate, and it's important to hate the right things, of course, but, but he hated. So let me give you an analogy. So did God hate Hitler or did God just hate what Hitler did? Um, I don't know the answer to that completely, just to be honest with you, but I can tell you this, that I think the answer is both, because if you're a Bible-believing Christian, you believe in hell, and God didn't just throw Hitler's sin into hell, but, but, also, but also Hitler, because there needs to be justice. So ultimate justice is actually loving. It is a way to show your people that you actually care about what real love is um, and what real morality looks like at the end of the day. So there should be kind of this, this nuance, if you want to call it that, and, I, and it's a great word, but the left has hijacked it, but there should be this differentiation, this distinction, this clear-cut distinction between 
what is good and what is evil. And if we're not willing to address that, then all you're doing is sweeping the dirt under the rug, and that is, again, not truly loving. But then there's also a capacity for this ad to do something that I think is very alarming, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show. I'm concerned about the discrimination about, I'm concerned about the discrimination that evangelical Christians are facing in the present. I hear people like the New Evangelicals, those in the Holy Post podcast, and other kind of progressive Christians who are constantly critiquing the church, constantly wagging their finger at evangelical Christians. The sharpest criticism that they reserve is always for evangelical Christians rather than the people who are actually really doing some pretty evil things in society today. Um, and, and I think that this is alarming because there are a bunch of people who are probably predisposed to uh, not liking Christians and Christianity and religion in the first place. And I can't help but wonder if the kind of rhetoric coming from these people is something that they should take ownership of. They constantly want Christian nationalists and other Christian evangelicals to take ownership for their rhetoric. They definitely want Trump to take ownership of his rhetoric. But what about you guys? Are you going to take ownership of your rhetoric and be honest with how you might be radicalizing people toward hating fellow Christians. And then when people shoot up Christian schools and then shoot up churches, do you think that there's at least some culpability there? We need to be willing to ask the question. I'm not saying that there is uh, 100% because I wouldn't want somebody to accuse me of something that I never called for. But but I think it's a question that that is worth asking because the Christian nationalists aren't there uh, out there aren't taking guns and shooting up churches, but, but there are others out there doing that, and what side of the aisle are they on? Needless to say, one thing that we know for sure beyond a shadow of a doubt anyway is that the criticism of evangelical Christians is incredibly stupid, and here's why. The most giving people on the planet are Christian evangelical Americans. And I can prove that to you. Let me first show you at least one of those individuals doing the most good. I know at these events, these prom events, you have a red carpet. Yes, what? every one of them, they have to have a red carpet. Why because, is that? Well, in today's society, red carpets, they signify excellence. They signify meaning. They signify VIP. On this night, and in my eyes, and I believe in God's eyes, they are the VIPs. They're important. And so we walk them down a red carpet and we crown them. We have paparazzi on both sides because we want to celebrate them. A lot of times they've never been celebrated. They've never been cheered for. And to, to be able to throw a prom where they're the king, they're the queen, they're celebrated, they're loved. You know, I believe that it changes someone's identity when they believe that they're important, that they're valued, that they're loved, and that they're special. And, and there's a reason for them being here. And so I want them to feel that way. How great is that? I mean, it's TimTebowFoundation.org. Just yeah. go and check it out and just see what you can do. Uh, or donate or volunteer. It is really the coolest thing Thank that you, you do. And I, I really, I, that we love you for doing that. Thank you. And trust me, there's a lot of progressive Christians out there who have a lot of negative things to say about Tim Tebow simply because he wanted to pray at football games. But let me go one step further and just say this isn't just Tim Tebow. Religious people are 25 percent points more likely than secularists to donate money and 23 points more likely to volunteer time. That's a study from the Hoover Institute. On average, religiously affiliated households donate $1,500 to charity annually, while households with no religious affiliation contribute $695. And that's from the Washington Times. Again, I say all that because I did an episode last week about David French, 
um, Curtis Chang and Russell Moore and how their rhetoric is creating polarization in the church at the same time that they're talking about polarization in the church and trying to avoid it. Um, and I think that these individuals need to be honest about what their rhetoric is actually pointing to. You're pointing at a group, a demographic of Americans that are the most benevolent and the most giving people on the planet, and you constantly want to criticize them. So I'm concerned with the kind of hatred that we have in society today. Um, I'm specifically concerned with making sure that I don't become part of the problem. I want to be charitable. I want to be loving. Jesus undeniably taught love. And I think if we're going to err, you know you err on the side of compassion. But I also believe that we have an obligation to be confrontational on important topics. And I sleep well at night because I believe that if you truly love people, then you cannot lie to them. You cannot tell half-truths. You have to be as honest as you possibly can because that's the only way to truly tell people that you love them. Therefore, I can only do one thing, and that is to as effectively and honestly as possible talk to others about my faith and not try to change it to be a little bit more appealing to people. And I also remind myself, and you should remind yourself of this too, less faith means less charity. So we need more Christians doing more good, and we need to encourage those Christians who are doing it that they're doing a job well done, rather than constantly shaking and wagging the finger at them as a society, the people who are doing the most good. If we have indignation, let us give it to those who are the most deserving of it. So if we're really going to be honest, let's create a he gets us at that shakes the finger at the mainstream media because they're constantly telling us that we should be mad about something and most often to people who disagree with us politically and that we should hate them. And a lot of Americans are being convinced by this, but I won't hold my breath waiting for he gets us to actually be honest about who the real enemy is in America. Rather, I'll just keep on doing what I know to do best, trusting God and repenting when I do wrong. And I hope you'll do the same. Thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and to go with God.